For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, it is so good to see you all this evening. It's good to be back. I had a great two months on sabbatical part two. Uh, they, they really were good, uh, good weeks. Um, while I said what was the highlights, as you could imagine, my time in England was great. The six weeks I spent there uh, was fantastic. Uh, I'll give a fuller report probably at the annual meeting in a few weeks about uh, everything, but it was a, it was a great sabbatical. It was uh, restful. It was worshipful. Uh, it was productive. Um, as a scholar, I wrote a lot of words uh, when I was in, in the UK, so I'm excited about that. Got a lot of work done. Uh, was ready to come home two weeks ago when I got home um, and ready to come back to the parish kind of two weeks ago when I got home, but uh, dutifully obeyed the, uh, the date of my coming back. And so, so glad to be back with you this evening. Thankful for uh, a missile on the altar that tells me what to say as I test to see how good my memory is these days. I turned 48 on this uh, while I was away, so testing my memory. Uh, he's not here tonight because he and Jeannie went to the mountains together to have some time together, but uh, I, I will publicly, I have privately thanked Father Steve already and want to publicly just uh, express my thanks to him for uh, being here, taking over, uh, doing a great job in my absence. I know he did a great job because uh, here we are and here you are. And uh, thankful to those who also preached uh, while I was away. Uh, I did not solicit comments from family, but uh, would get them sometimes on phone calls, Skype calls uh, from my family. So uh, thankful that I could go away for these four months over the course of this year and, uh, you know, know that things were in good hands. But again, I'm excited to be back. Uh, it's also nice to, to come back to the parish, but still be off of Biola for a little longer. Uh, so I'm excited to, to be back, and uh, I'm excited, too, because my return is coinciding here with the, uh, that move towards the end of the liturgical year, right, which also means the anticipated beginnings of the new liturgical year, uh, which will happen on the first Sunday of Advent, which is December 1st this year. And a couple of things are going to happen on that day, uh, well, several things. The first thing is it's going to look like every other Sunday, except there'll be blue vestments and blue hangings, and the readings, as usual, will shift to a clear Advent focus, and the Advent uh, candles will make their way back forward, and we'll begin that, that countdown to the Feast of the Incarnation, Christmas Day. So in that sense, things are going to look fairly normal, like they always do. But the reality is also on that first Sunday of Advent, we'll be celebrating our seventh anniversary as a parish. December 4th happened to be the first Sunday of Advent in 2012, and that's when we launched, and there's a handful of you who have been here since that first Sunday, so on that Sunday we will have great calls to celebrate God's goodness to us over the course of seven years, uh, which we will also then the following week continue at the annual meeting in celebration of God's goodness to us and looking forward to another year of his blessing. And then that first Sunday of Advent is also going to be the first Sunday where we change to our new liturgy, uh, where we begin to use the 2019 Book of Common Prayer, which was published this uh, summer. And I've already started preparing myself for that. Uh, they haven't published a missile yet, so uh, like our current missile, it has to be assembled. And so I've started that process, and so I've started to notice uh, some of the, the changes, and a lot of that's just going to be us tripping over things we're used to saying that we're saying just a little differently. Uh, Christina and I started praying 
the daily office out of the new book of common prayer and we are tripping over because from memory we are just saying the things uh, that we're used to saying and there's a slightly different version in the new prayer book so um, so we're going to have some of that growing pains together as we as we worship together it's going to force our eyes back down at, at paper and pages again as we get used to it but I'm sure in in due time as Brendan said this afternoon he said well I'm just going to learn it and then you know I'll be done thinking about the change and Yes, that is, in fact, what happens at the liturgy. We tend to, to learn it uh, and then tend not to think about it uh, much anymore. Not that the liturgy becomes rote, but that we internalize it, that we inwardly digest it, if you paid attention to tonight's collect. And that collect, I'm so glad that it's appointed for this Sunday because uh, about a month ago is when it was read in England. And so I heard it read, and I thought, no, it seems to be too early for that, that collect. Why are we reading that collect now? I love that collect. I I want to be in my parish and, and say that collect, and I got to tonight because it's one of my favorite collects of the year where we think about the word of God and that we're, our job is to study it, to mark it, to read it, to inwardly digest it. But the truth of the matter is it's not just the scriptures that we do that to, although I would recommend it maybe it should be primarily what we do, but we inwardly take in lots of information and kind of own it, right? Even if it's a mental marking or uh, a mental uh, recollection of it, and then we, we inwardly digest these truths that we learn and we live from that place in our lives. And again, it's not always just the words, but it could be the concepts, which of course words are behind those concepts. So for example, as we transition to winding down this liturgical year, year C, and next Sunday is the last Sunday um, of the liturgical year, the first Sunday before, the Sunday before Advent, which makes it Christ the King Sunday. So next week we get to think about Christ as King before we enter into the thought of him coming as the child King and the King of the second coming. Uh, but again, if we live into this liturgical year like we do, at least you know, liturgically, obviously, but if we let that seep into our, our own being, right, and kind of have marked the year out by these seasons and have inwardly digested this, this way of living life. And I think I say this every year about this time. I don't really live on a civil calendar, right, or the whatever the Gregorian, the normal calendar. I, I do in one way, and that's the IRS, <laughs> right? I mean, like April 15th, I'll never, you know, that's a date that every tax-paying person has to bear in mind. But otherwise, I have spent the, all of my adult life, nearly all of my adult life without exception, in the academic year, right? So when I was first, in the first two weeks in England, I was in Oxford, and it wasn't term-tied yet in Oxford, which is strange, because Biola had been back for several weeks when I got there, but th th there were no students there yet. Or there was a handful of doctoral students, graduate students, who you know, live and write year-round and research year-round, but, but the undergrads weren't there, and, it was so strange because my mind kept saying, what's wrong with this place? Where, where are the students? Like, does Oxford not have students? But then the weekend I moved to Cambridge was the weekend all the students also moved to Cambridge. So within a week of being in Cambridge, I thought, why are all these students here? And in the way, everywhere I try to go, there's just students everywhere, riding bikes incredibly recklessly, dangerously, 
my colleague, Diane Vincent, who did her PhD at Cambridge, said, rent a bike. It'll make everything easier. Colin, did you rent a bike when you were there this past summer? There was no way in the world I was going to rent a bike and ride it with when all the students were in session. They, they paid no atten attention to rules. It wasn't the cars anymore. It was the bikes. But, but again, because I live in that mind, that mind space of like the academic year has started, when I didn't see students, it was odd to me. And it would be somewhat odd to me, I think now having lived for nearly 15 years in, in the liturgical year as well as an Anglican, that it would be strange not to think about what this end of the liturgical year always encourages us to think about, which through the collect is always the word of God, to read it, to mark it, to inwardly digest it, to make the word of God our own. But, but tonight's readings go a little above and beyond that. And Isaiah reminds us that God is going to and will create a new heavens and a new earth, so much so that we will not remember past things. They will not come to mind. You know those times when you want a do-over? Do does anyone still use that language of do-overs, right? You, you start something and it doesn't quite work, and you say, okay, let's start that again. Let's, a do-over, a failed recipe, right, or something like that. You kind of get to the end, and you're actually tasting the thing you made. It smelled great, but for some reason, the smell and the taste don't go together, right? And you think, okay, let me, let me try that again. Or I was telling someone just the other day about this Russian movie called The Ark. I don't know if you've ever seen The Ark. I don't know what that would be in Russian, but in English, it's called The Ark. Has anyone seen this movie? It's the longest one-shot. Oh, was it you, Ellie? I was telling you. It was the longest. It is the longest one-shot movie ever filmed. It's all one shot. No cuts, no cuts, no edits, one shot. But the Ark is the Hermitage, the, the great art museum in St. Petersburg. And so the, the plot's a little thinnish because limitations of doing everything in one shot. But the point is, is they, the, the rule was, uh, the Hermitage said, okay, you have this much time to film, but as you go through the museum, we're opening the doors behind you to, to tourists, right? Because the whole concept was, well, we're not going to come back because we can't come back. We have to keep going. But the rule was, if, if something like if they got over five or seven minutes past the start of the filming, they wouldn't stop. So that was their commitment. Third take, I think I read. The third take is the one that made it past the mark. And so now they had to keep going. And I was telling Ellie, like, towards the end of the movie, there's this big dance sequence. So for like an hour or so, all these choreograph, you know, these dancers who've learned this choreography are waiting. They don't get two or three takes. They get one because the movies made it past the five or seven minute mark, right? So there was no like, oh gosh, I just dropped her, you know, do over. Can we do that again? No like, oh my goodness, I just burned the cookies, do over, or at least take them to potluck and we'll make better ones for ourselves, right? Or something like that, you know? But but the liturgical year does kind of offer this opportunity, not so much as a do-over, but as an opportunity to revisit the truths of God's word. So Isaiah tells us, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. So in one sense, it's kind of saying like, now the context, of course, is Israel's restoration. That's the original context there in the prophet Isaiah. But, but extending it out to us would be to think like, okay, as we come to the end of this liturgical year, as we, are we going to shift and begin to focus on the coming of Jesus, right, who starts the story of salvation history, or at least doesn't start it, continues it in that very intensive form of the Son of God now among us, Emmanuel, God with us. There's this sense of where the good news is, 
no matter what this past liturgical year has looked like, we're going to start it again. You're going to get the opportunity to walk back through this sequence of events that have repercussions into our own lives. Right? It's the civil calendar's New Year's resolution. Right? This year will be different. Right? It's the January 1 reboot, if you will. Or, for me, as an academic, it's the late August, early September reboot. Well, the four months of fun is over, right, the summer, and now it's time to get back at it. And I didn't do a great job of teaching that text last year. I'm going to, oh, look, I get it again this year. I'm going to try to do better. So it's built into our nature to kind of want to have these do-overs, if you will, right? And, and again, but at some point, we're just committed. And, and that's also the way that things work, is at some point, you're just committed. Like, God's promising the Israelites deliverance, but he was committed to ch- chastising them, to disciplining them, even though this new thing was coming. God was still committed to teaching them what they needed to learn from their their being carried off by Assyria or Babylon and Babylon. And what's this new thing that's coming if we just think about it from Isaiah's perspective? Well, it's joy and joyfulness, right? In verses 18 and 19, rejoice, joy, gladness, glad is repeated. Those four instances of gladness and joyfulness, they're in two verses. So the first thing this newness will bring will be joy, Well, yeah, because the Israelites will be restored from their bondage to these foreign nations to be God's people fully again. I think that would be joyful, would it not? I can imagine that at the end of that movie, The Ark, the celebration that must have been going on with the crew. Now, I'm going to drop a slightly pop culture reference here for Evie's sake, and um, so Recently, in the past few years, a song that I really liked was the uh, Justin Timberlake song when he sang with um, Chris, um, oh, the country singer, Stapleton. Stapleton. Thank you, Brendan. So, um, but then I discovered the video they made in LA, in one of the famous buildings in LA, I forget which one it is, was also one shot. So it's live. The video doesn't actually have the music from the album over it, it's a live video. And at the end there, they let the camera roll just long enough because they actually have to show credits since it's kind of like a movie. And you can hear Justin Timberlake and Chris Stapleton get off screen and be like, I can't repeat what they say because we're in church. But, but they're excited that they finished it. And I can imagine that's like a four-minute song. Imagine the excitement of finishing like an hour and 20 and 30-minute long movie. Right? But I mean, that's the point. This joy and the gladness, this deliverance, it's over, it's done. The opportunity to, to come back around and think about what Christ has done for us, beginning at the beginning of the story liturgically with Advent, anticipating both his first coming and his second coming. So that sense that we've been delivered by the gift of the Son of, uh, of the infant Jesus Christ, God's Son, but also the eschatological deliverance that comes with the second coming. That should make us joyful and rejoice. That should take us out of our our lives and whatever things are dragging us down here. And not that they are unimportant, but to give us a sense, a a vision for what's yet to come. This newness, this restoration that is to come. But even more than that, Isaiah says, it's not just about joy and gladness. In this case, it's not just about those, those emotions, those feelings. But rather for them too, the Israelites get to build houses and inhabit them. You get your own place. 
and this restoration. You get your own vineyards which you can harvest food from so that you can eat. You don't have to inhabit another building, right? You get your own. You don't have to eat something planted by someone else, but you can eat what you plant. In other words, you, you kind of get these tangible benefits of the goodness of God's deliverance. And again, that's, that's just as true for us, that we come around and we should be giving thanks for the way God sustains us each and every day. Most of you probably know I like good food. I just have no interest in being the one who fixed it. So if I had to live on my own all the time, I would just take a pill, if there was such a thing, and not bother with eating real food. But there I was, in Oxford and Cambridge for six weeks, well, five weeks, Christina was there a week, and I was completely responsible for my own food. I won't tell you how bland my diet became, um, but it wasn't, yeah, I mean, it's me, it's the the monk-like person. So, uh, for me, fi- fair enough, but it was pretty bland. It was nothing to write home about. And Christina was, we'd be on texting or FaceTiming, and she goes, what's for dinner? And I'd say, I don't know, like the package of pork chops came like for p- eight people, and I'm one person, so I'm eating pork chops again tonight. And she's like, okay, <laughs> you know, like, didn't you just have those? Yeah, but I, it's a big package. I don't know what to do with all this food. I got to eat it, you know? So, so again, but like the thought of, in this case, they're saying like, you get to live in the houses you build. You get to eat the food that you make. And, and they are excited about that, just like I was so excited to get home two weeks ago and eat Mexican food for, for the first time in six weeks, right? Beyond that, Isaiah, in the context of Isaiah, also they get to have meaningful work. They get to work with their hands and not labor in vain, something particularly important in light of the fact that they had really been working for other people all this time, the Assyrians or the Babylonians, that they get to have meaningful work. And that ties it into our reading from Second Thessalonians tonight, where basically Paul says, look, if people aren't going to work, if they're just going to be idle, that's bad. They need to work with their hands. We gave you the example to imitate by coming among you and working with their hands. No one should be a burden. Now, we know people lose jobs, people can't, you know, are underemployed. That's not the point here. The point is, is the, the choice to be idle. Right? And here you've got these Israelites longing and being promised meaningful work so of course paul is going to say don't don't discourage or discount meaningful work work with your hands it's a gift of god you can't be a burden on others and then the last couple things that are promised in isaiah that they will have offspring blessed of the lord not that their offspring in captivity weren't blessed of the lord but the fact that your children you know, heirs to the promise, just like you are, will get to experience that differently than what you've experienced in your captivity. That in this restoration, your children will be blessed because they get to have this joy. They get to have this food and shelter. They get to engage in meaningful work. And all of this, I think, in some way, is a summative, cumulative passage of what all these things are promising comes in the last verses where the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. What's the end result of the restoration of God, the work of God in the life of his people? is peace. Peace. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. So as we point ourselves to him who brings peace, as we anticipate entering into Advent, celebrating 
our own anniversary of seven years, anticipating shifting to our new book of common prayer, which in so many ways is just going to be doing the same thing that we've always done. But again, this year, this ending of this one liturgical year, this pointing us into a new one, gives us the opportunity to put behind us those things that need to be left behind. Now, some things just can't be left behind, right? Like if you're underemployed, the reality of paying the rent and eating and all that, it just stays with you. I get that. That's not, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm not, I'm not saying, like, just ignore your real concerns, those real things that are eating away at you. Those are real. But yet, it, in some way, shape, or form, we need to, as God's people, not just read the word of God and think these are nice promises, not just underline them. I remember my now boss, Melissa Schubert, once said, if the adult Melissa could talk to that teenage Melissa who was so fervently underlining things in her Bible, because now she goes, I look at that Bible and I have no idea why I was underlining what I was underlining. She goes, I must have just found everything fantastic. Right? And so she underlined. So it's not just about reading it. It's not just about marking it. But the end of that line of things there in the collect is what? To inwardly digest it. To believe in these promises of God to allow them to seep into our very being so that no matter what is going on in our life, that the peace of God will reign in us. That we can put behind us things that we can and should put behind us. And those things that we can't and have to kind of come with us, we continue to deal with those, but we deal with those again in light of the fact that Jesus has come and promises us deliverance from those things. Not a name it and claim it. We have to deal with them as real human beings. But as human beings in relationship to God. So I hope that as we wrap up this liturgical year, as we stand here at the brink of entering this new liturgical year, that again, God, by his spirit, will give us the opportunity to look into our lives, find out the ways in which God is doing a new thing, not just in us, but in those people around us, in our parish, in our communities, and our jobs, et cetera, et cetera, that we can, we can see those and we can hear the promises of God for what they are. They're the promise of joyful lives, of God's care and protection of us, of a meaningful life in relationship with him, of the opportunity to think that this is bigger than just us, that children and other people's children benefit from even our relationship with God, and of course their own, so that in time, But yet here now, at the same time, God brings us and we allow his peace to reign in our hearts. So there's going to be a lot going on in the next few weeks. Transitions, changes, celebration through lessons and carols, but also the business meeting. Which are fun and good, but it's a business meeting. But let us even now just prepare ourselves again for what God is doing. Let us look ahead to what God wants to do in us individually and in us collectively. And as we anticipate that, let us commit ourselves to God anew, tonight and each and every day. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.